tempered through fire, all survivors possess wisdom and grit. Reclaim power and revel in life. I'm Kelsey Harper. My pronouns are she, her. I'm a survivor and clinical psychologist, and this is The Initiated Survivor. Here, we discuss topics relevant to survivors, so please be mindful of your needs as some of these topics might be triggering. Hi everyone, welcome back to Initiated Survivor. In this episode, you're going to hear me talk with my good friend and colleague, Sari Gutierrez, about the 10 assumptions of survivors. I particularly wanted to speak with her about this because she and I work together as DBT therapists. And as I said before in the episode where I talked about the 10 assumptions, I wrote those 10 assumptions based upon principles and values that we hold in dialectical behavior therapy. And I personally consider that Sada E is quite the expert in DBT and is so masterful at engaging that intervention. And so I wanted to bring her in to talk a little bit more about this and how these assumptions can shape the way that we engage with survivors in the world and in the community, and also how we can engage with ourselves and why these are so important. Um, And she highlights a couple of the ones that are important to her and really speak to her, as well as adding some additional information that is so, so valuable. What's also going to be really interesting in this episode is you're going to hear us start with an invocation. And an invocation for me is something that I start every ceremony, ritual, or spell casting with in my spiritual practice. And in this one, you're going to hear me do an invocation of calling in the four directions and the elements um, and calling in our different guides and ancestors and spiritual teachers as part of just setting up the tone for the episode today. One of the things that's really special about my friendship with Sada E is that we both had parallel and weaving in and out together developmental processes with spiritual growth and spiritual development. We both took these interesting paths that sometimes ran together and sometimes took their own separate directions and come back together and actually really complement each other very nicely. And it was something very powerful to get to share with her and our relationship. And we're going to share a little bit of that with you at the beginning of this episode. So welcome, Sara E. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Um, So we're going to go ahead and start with a little bit of an invocation so that we can bring some centeredness and bring in all of our supports. Mm -hmm. Right. So start first by closing your eyes and take a few deep breaths and just kind of allow the breaths to really release everything that came before this or any tension or pressure you know, any of the sense of those shoulds kind of knocking at it and start to bring your awareness down to your center. Maybe your center today is at your solar plexus. Maybe it's down in your pelvis. Just notice and bring your breath down there.
And as we pause there, you can pause and just allow yourself to take rest there or develop a little bit of an anchor so you can come back to this any point. And I'll start the invocation. We call upon the guardians of the north, the spirits of earth, of the mountains, of the trees, of the dirt, of all the bugs in the dirt, all the animals crawling across the earth, the rocks and the stones. We call upon you to come, be here with us, guide us, grant us your wisdom, your protection and your love. Attend to this recording. We call upon the guardians of the east, the elements of air, of the wind, of the breeze, of the breath in our lungs, our voices, our intellect, our decision, our consciousness, our thought, our songs, music. Come guardians, guides, be with us. Guide this process, grant us your wisdom. Be here in this recording with us. Call upon the guardians of the south, the elements of the fire. The fire roaring from a bonfire from the fireplace. One single flame from a candle. The fire of passion, of creativity that sense of total abandon and ecstasy. Come guardians, guides, be with us. Grant us your wisdom, guide this process, be here in this recording. I call upon the guardians of the West and the elements of the water, of the ocean rolling and ebbing and flowing, the rivers, pouring down from the mountains across the earth, the rain falling from the sky, the clouds, and the blood in our veins. Come guardians, guides, wise ones, come guide this process, grant us your wisdom, be here with us in this recording. We call upon the above, the celestial bodies, the stars, the moon, the sun, all of the wisdom in your orbit, having witnessed life turn on this earth, come be with us here, guard us, guide us, grant us your wisdom and your support. And call upon the guardians of the below, our ascended masters, our ancestors, connect in with our lineage, our family ancestors, our spiritual ancestors, our creative ancestors, any and all who have come before us that we're linked into. Come attend to this recording, be here with us. Grant us your wisdom, guide us and support us. We want to honor you here today. 
We call upon the energy and the power from within our higher self, our soul, our sense of connection, our purpose, our identity, our core of who we are, the goddess within us, the divinity that lies within us, our consciousness, our love, our creativity, our wisdom. Come attend to this recording, guard us and guide us, support us in this. Allow us to be fully true to ourselves here. Whenever you're ready, go ahead, come back to your center, open your eyes. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for that idea. I love doing invocations. They're so centering and Mm-hmm. It's a part of me that I don't often get to share with people. You but should yeah. <laughs> not to put a should on it, but oh, that was so beautiful. It, it felt very supportive. And I, I just felt like, you know, everybody wanted to be here in this recording. Oh, that's wonderful. I love yeah. that. You're so in tune with everything, bringing everyone in. And so today we were going to start with talking about uh, the uh, 10 assumptions of survivors. And this is something, you know, I've recorded an episode about the, the audience years before this one. Um, and that I base those 10 assumptions based on similar kind of assumptions that we hold in DBT. Mm-hmm. And you and I met at DBT. So you understand. <laughs> and that I actually found that those assumptions we hold about clients in DBT helped with a paradigm shift for me that I felt enabled a lot of radical respect and like self-determination and collaboration with clients and diminishing a lot of the barriers that can interfere for people's recovery. Like, you know, assumptions about who they are, shame, blame, uh, judgment, anger, frustration, um, and wanted to come up with some about survivors. And so I wrote, um, these 10 and I sent them to you too. Mm -hmm. And we can go through some of them, um, about these assumptions. And that ultimately for me, it was this idea that if we can all really be mindful and hold these things as, as truths, right. So assumption can sometimes be a little bit of maybe a misnomer, um, in a sense that it's not that we're assuming something that might be inaccurate, that we're choosing to enter this space holding knowledge that we already know is true Mm -hmm. about survivors and that actually can more effectively uh, restore power to survivors and support them in whatever it is that that they're wanting to do with looking at some of these these assumptions how do you see just in general like holding assumptions or beliefs like this you know, might be helpful for us, like in working with survivors and living as survivors. Mm-hmm. What do you think is, is useful about holding assumptions? I think it, first of all, I think it starts us off on the same footing, right? Uh, the, mm. the patient is not coming in as, as a trying to prove anything to the clinician. Yeah. Trying to, convince anybody right about I mean the the very first one is all survivors are telling the truth 
right? Mm-hmm. And so it starts us off on, on the safe footing, right? And I think holding these assumptions can be so reparative, right? Um, for, for many people, just even having someone see us in our truth. I think mm-hmm. I mentioned to you, I, I recently went to intensive and a retreat and just having that people look at me in my truth, right? In that, in the I am, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is so powerful and healing. Yeah. Like being witnessed without question or judgment or someone trying to change you already. Absolutely. Yeah. And I like what you're bringing up because it sounds a lot like equanimity, you mm-hmm. know, of like you said, like coming in on an even or equal footing, you know, that nobody is considered to be more knowledgeable or have more authority than the other person. And that that's so reparative in the sense of, especially when our effort is to really help restore power back to somebody who had it robbed of them, Mm. you know, how much value there is in being seen as an equal contributor and participant to a process you know, and sometimes that process is like a very concrete, like clinical process of therapy. And sometimes that process is literally just a dynamic exchange with another human Mm -hmm. and and to get to experience the self as being seen and respected as an equal authority and power in that space can be extremely reparative. Yeah. It makes me think about the, the checking our power as clinicians, we are not authority figures, right. And, And I think oftentimes our degrees, right? Uh, we have to keep that in check, right? Mm-hmm. And, and um, you know, just how reparative, especially for uh, survivors, right? Where the, the, that power has been taken away, whether, you know, in childhood or in adulthood, right? It can mm-hmm. be so reparative to come into a room Right and, and being respected as a, an authority figure of, of your of your own life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, like you said, like checking our power as clinicians. I think you know part of checking that power is to also be respectful of what people might assume about us. You know that that people walk into the room assuming a power dynamic that exists mm-hmm. there you know, that this is an authority that I am seeking out. And so to a certain extent, like being respectful of that means to, you know, act professionally, make sure that the statements that we're making are like truthful, evidence-based, like based upon the science that we know, because we are providers of, you know, healthcare, you know, but also making sure that we are, you know, holding up some of those values around like doing no harm, you know, making sure that we are actually being of service to somebody Um, you know, and working collaboratively in that way of that respecting, you know, the authority that people assume that we have does not mean that we are authoritarian or that we are wielding power over somebody or trying to control how treatment or how therapy goes or how they're supposed to respond to this. And it's interesting how that can come up for a lot of people Um, and itself be a barrier in the sense of assuming that, you know, when we identify something or we talk about something that we're giving a directive, you know, and having to, you know, be very mindful of saying like, this is not a directive at all, 
you know, and you also still get to talk to me and meet with me, even if you don't do what I recommend, this is actually me saying like, what do you think of this with this work? And if not, we move on and we can find mm-hmm. something else, you know, and that ability to choose, especially when that ability to choose was definitely trampled on can be really, really powerful, but also then being able to shape your treatment to look how you want it to look, mm-hmm. which pulls in like another assumption, right. Of like all recovery is different for every person. Yeah. And, and th- that kind of makes me think about hurt people, hurt people, right. And mm-hmm. when we're not doing our own work as clinicians, right. When we're not doing, you know, one of the other assumptions was, you know, the we must, you know, ending sexual violence must include dismantling white supremacy, misogyny, patriarchy, transphobia, homophobia, and all the systems of oppression, right? If we are not keeping our privilege in check, right, are we projecting, are we making statements that are harmful to people? Mm -hmm. Because we are you know, there's this, there's a saying about wounded, wounded healers, right? Are we, are we coming into it with best intentions, but also keeping our stuff in check so that we're not passing that yeah. on? Well, I like that. Cause it's also something I, I think I brought up. Um, and I talked about in, um, telling my story about being a wounded healer and that like, that's, the wounds that we have within ourselves that enable us to be more effective healers. And you're really, you're right on that in the sense that it's actually more the work that we've done on those wounds, you know, that it is the reparation and the mindfulness of those wounds that makes us more effective healers, not just having wounds, you know, otherwise we end up, you know, being, you know, being in the room, getting triggered and being, you know, in our feelings and in our experience and our trauma, Mm -hmm. when somebody has trusted us to hold theirs, and that can be so damaging. Mm -hmm. But I like, I like that you specified that too, of that, the wounded healer idea has this, this other piece of like, you absolutely can be a powerful wounded healer, but a, a powerful wounded healer is somebody who is working to not only address those wounds within themselves and resolve and heal them, but also to do so in, in the community, you know, that, you know, being a wounded person doing nothing for your own wounds and nothing for the community is helping nobody, you know, you think about how people talk about, you know, the, that, um, I think it's like Chiron or some, something, the mythological wounded healer and that the mythological wounded here, Chiron, like was all about, bringing healing to systems and community based upon their wounds, you know, not Mm -hmm. based upon not, not using their wounds to, you know, just project out their pain and their rage and their suffering, but actually to be like, I know what it means to suffer and I'm going to do the work to heal that. And then also do the work to heal the world that created that suffering and enables that suffering. Mm, it makes me think about a big message that I got this weekend, which was, you are the medicine, mm. right? Like, and, and we see this in, in, in the way that we speak to the research that, you know, people have done on speaking to water a certain way, like the things that we tell it, right? Speaking to plants a certain way, right? Um, you are the medicine for yourself and your community, Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah, just the ripple effect of the doing the healing work for yourself 
Right. And that's been part of a big part of my journey, like just this radical acceptance of I cannot change other people. Right? I, I need to work on myself and that ripples out right to my environment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think especially like, cause oftentimes people, I know for me, when I have definitely heard that comment, like you can't change other people, only yourself. Like it feels so spiritual bypassy when I get angry and I'm like, no, but others need to change. <laughs> um, and, um, but Which it also, true. like, it's like, that is true, you know? And also it's like, but in changing my actions, it's not that I'm doing nothing about other people. Mm-hmm. It's actually that I'm just using my, my zone of effectuality strategically, right? Because it's very different when I hold very direct and clear boundaries with somebody, how they then engage with me and the world. Then if I sit there and keep focusing on them, on trying to get them to stop crossing boundaries, like, well, that can actually happen if I just hold them and enforce them, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's an interaction that causes a change for them too. Um, Just as an example, but I know I can definitely get back in my, my angry head everybody should change. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that, that, that radical acceptance, um, and, and, and you can correct me, but it, it, like the recovery can start at any time makes Mm -hmm. me think about the DBT, uh, one of the DBT assumptions about, I don't know which one I I lost it, but recovery can start at any time. Right. There's that. Oh, I remember, I think like I, even though I did not cause my own pain, right. I am the one to heal, right. I can be the Mm -hmm. one to heal. Recovery is always possible. Recovery can start at any time. Even if the world is not ready to change, I can recover. Um, So beautiful. (laughs) And that is one of my favorite ones, especially because I know for me in my own recovery, that's been a difficult acceptance. And I know for many many clients that I work with, that's a difficult one. And it's, but there's also so much healing around the anger that we have of like, I didn't cause my own problems. I didn't cause my suffering. And I, I'm the only one that can repair it. And it is enraging because it's like, well, why do I have to take up this burden and this journey? And why do I have to do all this hard work, especially living in a world that is going to perpetuate this It's going to continue to do this. Uh And And it's one of those things where it's like, of course, that rage is so valid. That anger is absolutely valid, you know, and in order to do anything that anger is telling us, because rage and anger have so much wisdom around like, no, a change does have to happen. We do have to change a world that is continuing to do harm to people. But in order to do that, like you actually have to do the healing work. No one can do it for you. You have to do the repair and you have to get your own recovery um, you know, to be able to be a part of any of that, you know, and, and to be able to access the wisdom that you do have as a person who has survived this to be able to make that change happen. Especially when the rage is directed at yourself. Yeah. Transforming that rage can be so powerful and healing. One of the things that I've noticed is that in my rage and recovery, I've neglected huge parts of myself and 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 my history and my family's history in in my lineage of family right just even looking back at like all the traumas of all the women in my family right 
that the rage has has turned into shame right and and mm-hmm. neglecting huge parts of, of myself and, and our family like not talking about things right and part of that healing process for me has been to forgive myself right and there's this divine feminine but there's also divine masculine within myself mm-hmm. right and though i may never forgive and forget those that have caused me harm can i make peace with my own masculinity right i that, that's been a huge thing for me in the recent months of of just thinking about how that rage has turned internal and towards my own right parts of that masculine part of myself mm-hmm. that's i mean I'm just like, I'm like so floored right now. I'm like, oh my gosh, all the messaging coming forward right now. (laughs) Right. And I think, you know, for, for many survivors, you know, that, that rage turned inward, absolutely. There's like shame and guilt and self-blame, you know, and the rage turned towards ourselves can look like, you know, denying our experiences. It can look like internalized misogyny and and internalized Mm -hmm. gaslighting, you know, and also refusing or denying ourselves, whatever kind of care could be helpful for us. Um, you know, and that's, that was part of also when I was thinking about recovery can start at any time and it can restart and it can restart and it can restart of like, there's kindness in giving yourself breaks and there's kindness also in choosing to engage mm-hmm. in a recovery process and coming from that place of repairing and healing, you know, the self or internalized focus, rage and, and anger and judgment that's there, you know, can actually make all of this then very reparative in many ways. Yeah. And I know that you and I have talked about this, about how sometimes the Instagram healers, not, not to speak badly (laughs) about Instagram healers, but, you know, I think, uh, there's such focus on being so introspective, Mm-hmm. right all the time and when you're already struggling with guilt shame being so inward right there, there's constant that constant need for change or there's another dbt assumption right of like mm-hmm. we need to change but there's a limit to that mm-hmm. right and there's danger right in that that could turn gaslighting if we're constantly um thinking it's me 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 Right, right. Oh, my mind went all the Instagram healers. (laughs) We won't speak ill of you, but maybe ill of your actions. (laughs) I mean, and and I mean that because like I do have, uh, there's plenty of Instagram healers that are doing wonderful work, lots of them, and that are being very responsible and ethical in how they do it. And then there's ones that really are not and are teaching a lot of things that are inaccurate and harmful, you know, like, you know, excessive introspection, mm-hmm. um, you know, exaggerating or maximizing pain points and then telling people to sit in them with doing nothing, you know, and just sit and sit and sit and sit in these pain points and people are getting worse and worse. They've already done studies that say like, that have shown that people ascribing to, messages from specific or certain 
um, online healers have resulted in increased levels of distress and anxiety and pain um, and difficulty accessing effective support because what they were experiencing is now so much bigger and so much more difficult to, to grasp and to regulate. Um, and so there's part of me that's like, well, you know, without shaming anybody, you definitely have to be responsible and ethical about what messaging we put out there to people that, you know, obviously an Instagram tile can't mm-hmm. completely encompass what healing work truly is, but mm-hmm. maybe we shouldn't be trying to do that and how we can, you know, be more effective And like what you're talking about is like a dialectical or a balanced approach of really, how do we build in more acceptance and change and the relationship between the two of those, right. you know, how do we move forward and how do we give pause and how do we know what's ours and how do we, you know, surrender to what's not without that also, mm-hmm. you know, paralyzing us around change. Right. And, and some of your assumptions, right. Are, are recovery is possible and um, recovery looks different and is unique for everyone. Right recovery is always possible. There's research work, right? That, that there are effective treatments for, for PTSD, for trauma, mm-hmm. right? And there's that dialectic, right? For, for me, I, I know for me, it's been a lot of spiritual work and EMDR, mm-hmm. right? It's been, um, you know, for, for me, right? Empowering myself with boxing, with, uh, I love Robin Arson on Peloton. Oh, <laughs> yes. right? She's my therapist. I cry on some of the rides. Oh my gosh. When she looks oh. into the camera and just like randomly out of the blue goes, yes, you can. I'm like, oh my God, <sighs> that was exactly what I've been needing to hear. Yeah. Even Robin just Girl, saying, I will never feel sorry for you. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I don't need people to feel sorry for me. I, I want them to see my courage. Right. And what I've right. been through. Right. And so that's been healing. Right. And right. Seeing the therapist doing the mm-hmm. EMDR work. Like it, it is a whole, like not negating parts of that, but. Right. Like they, they aren't mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. They all play a specific role that sometimes only these different components can each play in our recovery. And that if anything, recovery just gets better and better, the more that we can add into it. Absolutely. Yes. And I hope that that's the, the message here that it, it it sounds corny, but it does get better. It's supposed to, right. And Mm -hmm. that's why we have measures, right. That's why we have research, to, to mm-hmm. make sure that you are getting better. Um, and if, and if you're not right, take, take, taking, I, I think it's important to, to, to revisit those goals, to revisit mm-hmm. w- w- the barriers to getting better. I like I, cause you're bringing up a DBT assumption that we have. Um, and I think this is the assumption that clients never fail treatment and that was, but the therapy fails clients or can fail clients. And this is one that it's um, it's, that was a huge paradigm shift for me because we get all this messaging in graduate school. Like you shouldn't work harder than your clients. And well, sometimes clients are resistant. They're just not willing to change. And it really is like, 
just being in a place of totally shirking responsibility and putting it on the client for their own healing Mm -hmm. and not seeing that healing and recovery work is pervasive and comprehensive that how we engage in healing Mm -hmm. work is also a part of our healing work. Right. Mm -hmm. And that we should expect that anytime somebody has had something happen to them or they have a mental health issue that this is affecting all areas of their life, including how they approach therapy. And I love the paradigm shift because it took the shame and blame of not reaching goals Mm -hmm. off of the client and put it back on the treatment, which is where it should be. Like if, if the client isn't reaching their goals, the treatment isn't working and we need to make changes to the treatment. We need to look at what needs to change about therapy and also consider the possibility that, you know, the, the tools that we have right now at our, our disposal are not sufficient or enough for people and continue to develop those. And so I, I think that's such a powerful one that you're bringing up here for survivors is that if things are not getting better, that is also not your fault. That is 100% not your fault. If things are not getting better, that means things are not working. And you can bring that to your therapist, to your clinicians, to your coaches, to your spiritual leaders. And, and it is absolutely okay to expect that system to then Mm. respond Mm. with offering change on their part to make it work. That makes, that gives me chills because like we you mentioned earlier, there's this internalized gaslighting that goes yeah. on, right? Well, maybe it's because I'm not trying hard enough, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm, I'm too broken or maybe I'm, my emotions are too big, right? And so I'm glad that we're bringing this up too, to, to know that mm-hmm. it's not your fault. Yes. Oh my gosh, we could talk for hours on that one. It's not your fault. <laughs> that it's that, not your fault. I, you know, like it, it sounds, you know, even as a therapist, I have said that I have seen that, but when it's been told to me, it's so powerful. Mm-hmm. It's so powerful to hear. It's not your fault. Mm-hmm. It's so powerful to hear, you know, that no one right is allowed to abuse you mm-hmm. and that you it's just tapping into the sacredness I mean I, I believe that we 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 come from the sacred womb right and then we are divine and and sacred womb coming together we are you know the ancient ones or you know breaker of chains breaker of patterns and we are here right not by accident and so to respect ourselves right as if we are divine right Mm -hmm. and that is not our fault to be abused like that is well so coming back if you were to offer anything up to you know survivors right now whether that's just like well wishes or like a focus on a specific assumption that you really like or mm-hmm. one that you want to add, what, what would you offer? I think something that is coming true through right now is um, I guess coming back to number, number one, which is all survivors are telling the truth. And even further to expand on that you are truth right and 
tapping into for me that it's been (laughs) you're raising up your hand I was just like yes (laughs) for me right being initiated into being a survivor there was something that was that that I hid away in order to continue to survive that I lost because of that programming there there's pictures of me before and there's pictures of me after and and there's a clear spark right and truth that I needed to come back to right um and so you are truth right and survivorship recovery is possible coming back to that spark is possible it is work I'm Mm -hmm. not gonna say that it it hasn't Mm -hmm. hasn't been work but it's kind of like when you've been holding your breath for so long and then you come back to that it is possible Mm -hmm. you can come back to your truth society may not like that no truth makes a change your family may not like that your abusers may not like that your bosses you know we could go on and on and how Mm -hmm. (laughs) all the systems well all the systems may not like it because they are part of the oppression right they are patriarchy they are colonialism they are capitalism Mm -hmm. right and that gut feeling that something is not aligned, right? That is not your truth. Like, I, I love the invocation. You said something about the song. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's songbirds that have lost their song because they haven't had adults in their development teach them so- the songs how as a society have we lost our songs, right? How as a society, as survivors, we have lost our song. Come back to your song, whatever that is for you, right? For me, it's movement, it's dance, it's going to retreats with indigenous, you know, my people, asking questions about our ancestor stories. It, it is coming back to that curious child, I wanted to sing in grocery stores, right? And mm-hmm. wasn't allowed to like do what, what brings you joy. Mm-hmm. And, and if that's nothing right now, right. Explore that. C- come back to your truth. Mm-hmm. Come back to that gut. Gut. Come back to. And, and it may take dismantling all of this in order to come back to it yes and we're here with you in that we're dismantling that shit too you're not alone in dismantling all of it we're here with that so mode it be that was a long answer but yeah well it was a beautiful answer i think it's also a good place for us to close so thank you so much for being here today and sharing all that beautiful wisdom and the love that you have for survivors here yeah thank you thank you for having me 
I am a clinical psychologist and love to share these skills and tips to build resilience and recovery. However, this podcast is not a replacement for psychotherapy or mental health care. We have links in our show notes where you can connect with a provider or you can get a referral from your primary doctor if you wish to receive those services. If you are struggling today or wish to speak to someone, know that RAIN is always available 24 hours a day, seven days a week to offer support, guidance, and referrals for help. You can speak to someone right now at RAIN at the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-656-4673. The Initiated Survivor is a podcast written and hosted by me, Kelsey Harper. It is produced and edited and all around awesome podcast magic is casted by Sam Valentine. The beautiful music you heard is written and performed by Michael Carpenter Jr. If you wish, please leave us a sweet review so other survivors can find this podcast and get connected as well.